Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the suburbs of New York City. An apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Oh, very well, sir. How are you? Very well. Very well. Feeling good. Feeling good. This is a big week. This is a big week. It's a week we've been waiting for. There's a lot going on in the sport, of course. We're going to talk about all of it. Um, I really do mean a lot, but I just can't get my head out of the fact that this Friday, the U.S. and Mexico rekindle their rivalry in a World Cup qualifier. JJ, it is the game we have been waiting literally years for, Yeah, and it is upon us. We will talk all about that later on in the podcast that is in part two you're going to want to stay tuned for that because i'm 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 beaming i'm beaming jj i I, i'm i'm beaming i'm excited too i'm looking forward to it but i'm even excited to talk about what's just happened over the last few days as well there's uh there's been a plethora of interesting things happened and um i don't know this is just a great podcast andrew and and i feel lucky to be to be here with you wow what an honor you should feel that way i know you you always you always feel like i should i should be blessed (laughs) based on my modicum of talent to even be in the position to do this, but here we are. Um, yeah, I, I feel lucky to be here as well, JJ. And there is one thing I, I want to mention right out of the gate. We probably should mention this more, um, but so over the weekend, I'm scrolling through Twitter as one will do dum de dum de dum. And all of a sudden I come across a tweet uh, that says that Brendan Rogers is expected to be named as Manchester United's next manager. And lo and behold, JJ, do you know who was reporting this news? Oh, I don't know, but it sounds like it was someone disreputable. It was a Twitter account called Caught Offside. Oh, I did a double no. take, a triple take, a quadruple take. I almost called you and said, I'm sorry, do you, do you have sources that I'm just simply not aware of? And then I realized and remembered that, no, 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 it's the other Caught Offside. People need reminding, even myself needed reminding in this moment, (laughs) that this podcast has nothing whatsoever to do with the website and Twitter, other Twitter account uh, caught offside. Yeah. And unfortunately, we got wrapped up in a a multi-tweet this morning involving some, I don't know, Lester blog or something like that reported by caught offside. And I was straight in there saying, no, 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 we have nothing to do with them. We report nothing. We report on the reporting. Usually we do not uh, involve ourselves in what that particular website does. You look, and I'm not passing any judgments. They do what they do. We do what we do. I just don't, we just, we have the same. It's almost enough to make me consider once again, I've said this before. It's almost enough to consider a name change. Well, this name, it, I mean, not to go over old ground, but our our name change, our our sorry, our the formation of this podcast in terms of a name happened very very quickly, in a room with a with a, our one time producer, and he said, "Sure, that works." You nodded and said, "Yeah, that's okay," and we just went with it, and that was it. Like there was not; it was the. I think it may have been the first suggestion I made. No, no, I I remember kind of pouring over this. I don't remember. I thought there was, you there was no pouring. Remember, I went I went to Ireland and London on a trip right before we started it. And right. I thought I remembered you texting me even while I was there with that suggestion. Mm. And I said, oh, OK, yeah, I don't feel like I. Uh... Well, it was all very. 
Look, it's worked out so far, you know, but I just every once in a while, we just need the PSA out there because I'm sure there were other we've gotten JJ. People have have emailed us before asking if they can write for us. And anytime I see those emails, I always think, what are they talking? We don't write. I barely even know how to read. No, but I remember that there's a website that that also shares this name. Yeah, but and they I don't know how much they write either. They seem to aggregate a lot of things and just kind of uh, vomit it back into. All the right, ether. all right. There's no reason. Well, to be no, judgy. that we got in trouble over a, over a reporting that fo- incorrect reporting by them about Liverpool fans, and I wake up some morning to all these people from the United Kingdom and and abroad in our mentions calling us scum, etc. <laughs> now I'm we're scum for many reasons, but not for false reporting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So just a reminder, just a friendly reminder. Uh, we will get into, like I said, USA, Mexico near uh, on part two of this very podcast. We'll also, of course, get into what was an unbelievably eventful decision day in MLS. Wow. Just like the roller coaster ride that some fan bases were put on for better or worse. Uh, it was quite thrilling. So we'll go a little bit deep on that. We do have a mailbag later on in the podcast as well. But, JJ, we begin in England, and specifically we begin in London, and more specifically we begin in East London, where West Ham triumph over Liverpool 3-2. Yet another really, really entertaining game that involved Liverpool. You could almost make the case that like the three or four most entertaining games of the season have involved them in some way. Yeah, And uh, this was another. certainly was. Uh, It was a game that I did not, see live because i had i played my first few minutes in a soccer match in in many 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 months uh after coming back from injury so i was i didn't go on full dvr mode but i'm coming back from randall's island and i'm on the platform and as i followed the tweets from liverpool people who were having freakouts over allison and Mm -hmm. over the way the team was playing and so i watched the full entire thing in full knowledge of the final score Watch the whole thing back. Um, and it, I don't think Liverpool played as badly as Twitter would say, but I think West Ham certainly deserved their victory. Um, the XG was not comprehensive. It was 1.23 to 1.11. But um, West Ham were, were the better side, I think, in, in executing what they were trying to do. And a deserved win. And now we have them ensconced in the top three of the Premier League. On this, the 8th day of November 2021, and I didn't see it coming with this manager, Andrew. I no. didn't see it. But that's all news. That was That's last year's West Ham podcast. But let's talk about, first, I mean, there are two parts to this. Obviously, there's the Liverpool side, which I, I do have a few things I wanted to mention. But let's start with, with the West Ham side of this. They, of course, were the winners, and they're kind of the, the team of the moment here, like you said, in third and let's talk about the guy you just mentioned, David Moyes. This is an unbelievable third act to this guy's career. I mean, obviously, there's he has more acts, but like his most popular ones are his his time with Everton, his Preston act, then getting the job at Everton, and, and then the twelve year act he put on there was pretty good. That was a pretty good run on Broadway for old Moisey, right? And then Act Two was sort of his like years in the wilderness of Manchester United, and then in Spain and like, can this guy, is this guy even good anymore? Uh, And now we're into act three where it felt like this was almost, you know, he's not an old man by any stretch, but 
but with the act two that he had, it felt like act three was a little bit of him drinking in the last chance saloon in terms of, you know, being a manager of a prominent club. But and to see the way that he has taken this and made the most of it is really impressive. But even act one of this third act, (laughs) how many acts are there now? But no, in, in this third phase of his career, we'll call it the West Ham years. I mean, he got a shot at it and, you know, he got, what was it, one season, kept them up, and then he was gone. And when he was ushered back in, it wasn't like everyone was delighted at West Ham that he was coming back. That was just not the case. And what he's done last season and this season has been, it's been really, really good. You you just can't argue with it. And when he got sacked at Real Sociedad, you thought, okay, well, that can happen. You know, an English manager goes abroad. It just didn't work out for him a number of reasons. Sociedad weren't exactly in the best um, space as a club themselves. And then relegation with Sunderland. When that happened, I thought, that is it for him. Like, I honestly didn't see a way back. And, you know, the football Sunderland played under him was just... But I think the thing we have to remind ourselves is that they're terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were everyone and a badly run club. And look, I look at their trajectory since. But also, you did feel like the way Moyes set up his teams or the way he went about things was maybe yesterday's man in terms of the the, the culture and the zeitgeist in football at the moment for pressing and front foot football and all those kind of things that Klopp and Guardiola brought into the league. And I just didn't, I, I thought championship, Andrew. I thought championship, mm. maybe a run at the Scottish job. I did not think that we would be hearing David Moyes speak as he did at the weekend about we were only, what, two or three points off Champions League last season. Why can't we go for it this season? Like, that's just, it's incongruous. It doesn't sit well in my head. I, I thought he was done. I thought he was a busted flush. I thought he was going to just kind of chip Kelly his way out of the league. And um, is that a good comparison? Uh, I don't know that David Moyes is reviled by everyone that's ever met him. <laughs> okay. Well, think of a manager that had a, a kind of a, a good period followed by, you know, uh, yeah, I get, I get higher I get expectations. Yeah. You, you know, there was a lot expected at Philadelphia when, when Kelly went there and it didn't mm-hmm. happen. But anyway, I, I digress. Back to, back to Chip Moyes. Um, this has been this has been amazing, and people are genuinely happy for him because there was a perception after the United job as well that he was like so out of his depth and so daunted by the job, and the contract was so long that through all his wilderness years, he still hadn't reached the end of that United contract. He only got to the end of that like what two or three years ago. You know, there was just a whole vibe around him that he was this massive mistake that Manchester United, the biggest club of the world made after Sir Alex Ferguson. Right. Um, he was going to have to wear the Manchester United disaster as almost a scarlet letter throughout the remainder of his yeah. professional career. It kind of, because that club is so big and such a vacuum uh, in terms of our attention, it sort of sucked up whatever positives he had in his career before that. Um, but that's why this act with with West Ham is so important because it's kind of it's kind of set the record straight on the manager that he is. And we've seen look, we've seen what Manchester United have been since Moyes has been there. A lot of guys with sterling reputations have gone there and really had a hard time. Uh, so it's not just him. And and he's landed on his feet. I saw this article in The Guardian where they were talking about 
David Moyes and, and how his career has kind of come about. Uh, Jonathan Wilson, great writer for The Guardian, wrote it. He said, David Moyes, after his disappointing stints at Manchester United, Sunderland, and Real Sociedad, is thoroughly reinvigorated. That is a rare quality. Very few managers, once the slide has apparently begun, particularly after two decades in the job, have the clarity of thought to assess what they are doing, to look at best practice around Europe, and come back stronger and refreshed. It's true. I mean, this is certainly true. The trajectory of Moyes' career was... It was kind of laid out in clear print for us to see. And he he has taken this job, which was not like this was not a cushy landing spot. I mean, I remember, JJ, we did it in the club on West Ham and the morale of that fan base leaving Upton Park and going to the London Stadium. Um, like it was just it was toxic. Everything around them felt toxic. And he has gone in there and changed the culture. Uh, you know, and, and you look at the way they play. I know you talk about Pep, Klopp, you know, the way they do things. I mean, ultimately, yes, those are so, those are certainly successful models, but there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to win in this sport. But there and are. You, and you look at what West Ham did in this game, you know, strong on set pieces, good on the counterattack like that was recipe for success on the day. And it can be a recipe for success in general for a club and like fu- them. I, I agree. And his fundamental principles haven't really changed. I would I would say what has changed. Um, okay, United United didn't work out and Sunderland didn't work out, but signings have been good. He's got signings right. He's also got a core down the middle of experience and youth and attacking. And, you know, he's got Kurt Zuma and Agbana at the back there that kind of anchor things together. He's Aaron Cresswell as well. And then they... What they did yesterday against Liverpool in the first half was not revolutionary. They were compact. They were narrow. They made that field look so, so small and made it so difficult for Liverpool to play it through. What they did in the second half, and Moyes said was, okay, he felt as if it wasn't really working in the first half, even though it was only, what, it was 1-1 at half time. And he said, let's go and try and go on the front foot a little bit. And what he has is, just a kind of a, a mixture of, like I said, of, of hardworking kind of Moisean players who are, you know, task orientated and, and can keep things like the way they moved, Andrew, at times was uh, it was infuriating to watch them because they didn't have much of the ball, but they didn't need to have much of the ball. They, they closed off spaces. And when they won it back in the second half, they had four nails in the right position. To, to either be on the end of a pass or to play a pass and to cause trouble for Liverpool. Um, he got everything right yesterday, really. Now, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you can say that. I, I, I personally think, and we'll probably get to the, the contentious issues in a minute, but mm-hmm. I personally think that there was a moment right after halftime, or maybe, maybe five, six minutes after halftime. I can't, can't quite remember what, what was on the clock. It's 1-1. And Liverpool, who had toiled to try and find any kind of rhythm or any kind of spaces, there was Andy Robertson had so many crosses that went to no one in the first half or were cut out. It was very reminiscent of last year. But Trent Alexander-Arnold, who played very, very central in this game, clipped a lovely ball out to Robertson and he won times a volley into right on the edge of the six yard. And it's met by Sadio Mane. And Andrew, if it goes either side of Fabianski, that is 2-1 Liverpool. And I would have liked to have seen how the game would have panned out after that. 
with West Ham having to go chase, having to get on the ball more. Um, but it didn't. It was straight at Fabianski, and really West Ham kicked on from there. If you look at West Ham right now, JJ, they're third in the Premier League. They've already won their group in the Europa League, incredibly. Uh, and they just eliminated Manchester City from the Carabao Cup after having eliminated Manchester United in the Carabao Cup. They have Tottenham next. You know, we always reference the quote from Andy Bernard, the nard dog on The Office, when he said, I wish there was a way to know you were in the good old days before you actually left them. I don't know who needs to hear this, JJ, in East London or elsewhere, but attention, all West Ham fans, appreciate what is happening here. You are in the good old days. They are happening right now. Correct. And I'm not of the school of thought that when Declan Rice is eventually poached, probably by Chelsea, possibly by Manchester United, for a big, big sum, that it's just a case of, oh, hey, we'll just take that money and buy someone similar. Don't think it's going to be that easy. Um, I would caution as well that it's November Mm -hmm. and it's genuinely okay to have concerns about a team that has, like we said at the start of the season, one out and out guaranteed centre forward. Now, Jared Bowen is playing brilliantly. Fernal's in there. Uh, Ben Rama played well. You can take Lanzini. Lanzini was on the bench. You know, you've got creativity. You've got quality. Um, I mean, Soufal... Uh, you know, he was on the bench too, came on as well. Uh, but when it comes to someone that is going to be your number nine, you don't have many. So say Mikel Antonio gets injured. Say, for example, Agbana gets injured. There's, as he did in this game, there's a drop off then to what's coming in next Dawson. And then I, I don't even know what they would do at center forward. So mm-hmm. I would just caution that it is November and that, you know, they are fighting on, as you laid out on multiple fronts, but, um, you're right. The good, the good old days are now, and uh, and enjoy them. And one one thing was, the stadium was such a sticking point for the club, um, such a real, you know, it came with so many promises. It left behind so much culture at the bowling ground. The promises were that this team would be in the Champions League. Listen, it'll make sense when the revenues help us get to the Champions League. Well, that time to deliver on that promise is now as well. That really is. You're in position to do it. Um, so for the ownership, their promises so far are, are, are at this juncture in the season look like they could possibly come true. I wonder and- if even ownership, like they made those comments and then they probably like left the press conference or whatever and went back to their office and were like, how are we going to, how are we going to follow through on that promise? Yeah, and they must I, be looking at each other right now being like, Oh my God, what is happening? How did we do this? And, and relatively quickly too. Uh, but like I said, you know, it is November. It's yeah. uh, it's worth, it's, it's worth cautioning that for any uh, West Ham fans who I'm sure are not getting ahead of themselves. I know they're loving just where they are right now. The other side of this, of course, is uh, the Liverpool side of it. Mm. Um, it's funny because I saw like the headlines after this and it's Jurgen Klopp again, um, stealing headlines by commenting on officiating and his problems with it. Mm, To Uh, be fair to him now, I would have been shocked considering, and I happily admit it. He loves a moan. He says it himself. He likes to complain. He's, he's an all-star sore loser. Yeah. Um, He likes a good moan, uh, but he had reason. If, even if you don't think, both of the major incidents that we'll discuss now uh, should have gone his way. 
uh, you've got to say that one of them, at least you got to pick one of them that at least didn't. And, and he had a right, I think he had a right to mourn about, about one of those. So that is what I was going to say. He's an all-star sore loser, but he might have a case. I think think a lot of managers after this match would have had a moan about uh, certainly one of these things. I'll be curious what you said about both of them. Um, We'll go through them quickly. So the first goal that West Ham scored, uh, look, I, I can see, I can see, I suppose, why it was given. I've seen, you know, people whose opinions I, I greatly respect say that it's, you know, it's not a foul. It was initiated, contact was initiated by Allison. Look, I don't know. My own opinion, I watched it a number of times from every angle that you've all seen it at. I, I thought that that was probably a foul. And I thought that West Ham were fortunate to get that goal. Yeah, I, I, that was my take on it. I think so. And I, you know, it, Allison can't swing with his with his right hand to punch it away. It flicks in. It's actually down as an own goal. So it flicks in off his left hand. I mean, could he have done more to bat it away with his left hand? I don't know. Most keepers are predominant with one hand. And if he couldn't get his his right uh, to swing at it, then that's a problem. Uh, and, and also, I think Klopp's argument on this was mainly that in most cases, the keeper gets the benefit of the doubt in these kind of challenges. And it's a free kick, you know. Blah, 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 blah. The protected species of the goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. I, to be honest with you, like I, I didn't have a huge problem with it, particularly when Trent Alexander-Arnold got us back on level terms and bent one into the top corner. You know, I, I could have forgiven that one. Um, the more I see of the second one, which I'm presuming we're on the same page with this, which was the Cresswell tackle on Henderson. Mm-hmm. Now, that was reckless and out of control, and I think, I think that should have been a straight red. Um, now, and I do understand what people say when the when his foot goes across the top. Here's here's the argument against it. Well, his foot actually goes across the top of the ball, rolls up off the ball, and hits Henderson. It looked like his foot bounced almost. Yeah, off bounced of the up ball. off the ball. But I mean, he's over the top of the ball there in a reckless fashion, and he and it's a two footed. Like he's gone to tackle him with two feet. I mean, maybe in the in the whole let it flow era, which is which was launched in August, that this is no longer a red card. Um, it's also the same referee who, um, until he he saw the mangled and um, brutalized leg <laughs> at Leeds United of Harvey Elliott, wasn't going to give a red card either until he saw that. So I I don't know. I I really don't know. I I think it should have been a red card. I think it's pretty clear. Um, but again. I'm not making excuses. I, I, I'm not sure those were the turning point moments. I think the turning point moment was Sadio Mane's, um, I won't say point blank, but really good chance set up by Robertson. And if that goes in and it's 2-1 Liverpool, that's a totally, totally different game with West Ham having to chase the team that's dominating the ball. What did you think of Allison? In general, in this one, I mean, I, we Not can talk great. about the we, uh, well, yeah, certainly. I mean, now I actually thought, given some of the criticism I've seen him come under in the time since, I actually think that people have maybe gone a little bit overboard in their criticism of him. Like I, I said, I, 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 I believe, that too. I believe that, like, I, you know, I thought he was fouled on the first one, so I'll, I'll give him a little bit of, right. uh, of leeway there. On the second one, okay, does he get a hand on it? Yes, and I suppose we do live in a world where when we see a goalkeeper get their hand on a ball, we expect them to then make the save. But I think we also have to be a little bit realistic on a one V one 
situation like that from point blank range. But how good is he on one v ones? Is the point? He's like really good, and he All usually right, like he... to me that if to me okay, if he makes that save, we're sitting here right now saying incredible save by Allison. So can something be an incredible save if it happens, and if it doesn't, it's reason to criticize a guy. To me, if it's if it's incredible, if it's going to happen, then it's acceptable if it doesn't. That's kind of how I viewed it. Okay, I I think his reaction tells its own tale. I think the body position he got into and the amount he got on it made it. The amount of a touch he got on it, he was really upset that he he didn't stop it. I get that. Um, but then look, are we are we going to go to the other end? Sadio Mane right at the end has about as good a chance as you're going to yeah. get to equalize. And... About the header that he pushed wide. Oh yeah. The, the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, that was a good chance. And then I say, it's like a glaring miss. So that's that's just the way it is, Andrew. And honestly, I don't think Liverpool played as badly as Twitter was leading me to believe. But I certainly think that West Ham, uh, you know, trying to do what they were they were doing, which was particularly in the second half, get Fornells on the ball, break at pace at Liverpool, cut them open. West Ham were deserved winners. Mm-hmm. Uh, we continue now, JJ. Manchester United once again left apologizing to their fans. Uh, what has become just all too familiar. Uh, this was not the scoreline of the United-Liverpool match from a couple weeks ago. But in terms of balance of play, it, it certainly looked a lot like that one. It was a, what was it? A calm annihilation, Gary Neville described it as. Hmm. Annihilations are usually not calm but that was exactly what it was and they were so second best that it was i mean it's not even worth talking about it's it's i i don't know what to say i kind of agree with you what's left to be said almost there i don't think there is anything left to be said i I would just give just to make sure we're, we're we're giving city their props even though i think it was really so easy that city will Mark that one down as a training session. But the one of the the city goal that um, David De Gea ended up pushing into his own net or whatever attempt he made, where it was uh, Bernardo Silva's goal, um, every single city player touched the ball from goalkeeper right to the very end mm-hmm. in a long succession of passes that looked like a training move I saw Pep Guardiola put on at Orangeburg, New York, two and a half years ago. It's what it reminded me of. It was that simple. I'm not sure I have anything new to say about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Manchester United. And I can tell you guys from following the UK coverage, nobody at Sky Sports does either. (laughs) Um, Every week, the Sky pundits are treading the same water. And most of the big hitters who are Solskjaer's former teammates, Keane Neville, they do the same thing. They lay out their criticisms really staunchly, really clearly, and stop short of saying what is totally obvious, that the manager should probably be removed. They won't, they won't go that far. And um, Gary Neville goes, this is his template, is that, well, Louis van Gaal, they've tried it with Moyes, van Gaal, and Mourinho, and that didn't work out either, so that's why they don't want to sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Meanwhile, also he states, Neville states that there are oh, there's much better managers out there than than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with uh, better CVs and more credentials. But United don't want to don't want to move from their their long term plan right now. So we're kind of stuck in in stasis here, and I'm 
I don't know what else to say. Well, I'll say something. I saw a stat, JJ. Sometimes you come across a, a statistic that is just so mind-boggling. The, the brain needs time to process it. <laughs> I came across one. It's from uh, Duncan Alexander. Oh. Tweeted over, he tweeted over the weekend. 21% of Manchester United's home defeats in Premier League history have come under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. That's hard to... Oh, my God. That is... That's hard to fathom. A fifth. He's only... He's only just gotten there. <laughs> like he's not there three years. <laughs> I, I mean, it's. I, I guess it speaks more to the greatness of Sir Alex Ferguson than maybe it does the shortcomings of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Well, um, it, it's interesting though. Just just to talk about the the derby. So he had such a good record against Pep Guardiola, and he had up until the end of last season a decent record against Jurgen Klopp in terms of not getting beaten or somehow forcing draws on occasion. And uh, if he's not doing that and he, the, they're losing at home to Aston Villa and struggling to most sides they play. I mean, the one, the one saving grace about this whole period is that they're somehow, or rather Ronaldo is somehow finding a way to pull their feet from the flames in the Champions League. I mean, that's it though, really. Otherwise, it's, this is, it's bleak. It's yeah, who, who who was the uh, before we get off this? Who was the? Can you remember the uh, the general in the Iraq army that during the invasion, the Allied invasion in two thousand and three, was constantly referencing how things were going fine, everything was good, and uh, in actual fact, the uh, the forces of Saddam Hussein were doing well, really well, and they just needed to keep going. I can't, was it Comical Ali they called him? Or I'm not, I'm not familiar really with the Iraqi military hierarchy. <laughs> well, no, but there was a level of kind of delusion. And uh, Solskjaer was talking in the same tones after the game where he talked about, we just need to get back to this. We just need to get back to doing what we do best and, 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 and pick ourselves up and it'll be fine. He still thinks it'll be fine. How about we go with the Kevin Bacon and Animal House analogy as like, the have you seen that movie? Yes. Look, okay. When, when, when like chaos is unfolding all around him and he's trying to like hold back the mob and he's just screaming all is well, all is well. Uh, right, right. It's yeah. just like clearly mayhem is unfolding. Um, let's go with that over okay. the Iraqi Rather, military uh, generals. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Manchester United, two wins to go back to their um, how they're struggling at home. Just two wins in their last nine home Premier League matches. I mean, how is this Manchester United? Since October of 2020, Manchester United has recorded three home Premier League games with five or fewer shots. That ties its total such games at Old Trafford in the 10 years prior. It's just... Uh, it, yeah. I mean, and I, I can't believe some of the arguments that I engaged in on Twitter. Instead of just saying these people have no clue about football, who were trying to tell me that, the, you know, last season was a good season for United. You know, I can see, you know, uh, and once we, uh, one guy even tweeted me when I had, when I raised reservations about Ronaldo being signed, feeling nervous. Ner what? Oh my God. <laughs> nervous about what? West Ham are giving me more agita than United. Uh, how about the, um, the ovation that Donny Van de Beek got? Oh, when he was brought on. <laughs> must have filled him with such joy. I mean, he's become this like he, this cult figure because of the way he's kind of been like 
locked in solitary confinement. Yeah. I mean, it's just, again, incredible, absolutely incredible that he is now this kind of totem of everything that's wrong at United, you know, Donny van der Beek. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, the last thing I'll say about them is that I just, I can't escape. You know, I, I will, I was wrong. Like I, I thought surely Manchester United would be a part of the title race. And like, like we said with West Ham, it is only November. Things can change. Um, but to look at this right now, there, there's just no way to see that. And I just keep thinking about why I felt that way. There's just, like the talent on this team. It, it's too great to just to hide from. Like you have to see that the, there are world-class players just like littered all over the roster. And, and the fact that they can't put it together in any sort of cogent manner, it just, Maybe it's, it's unfair, but it, I don't know who else to look at. You know, players, I always say, have to take responsibility, but there's just too much good there on that team for the manager to, to run from it. It's You have well, to look at him. You yeah, just have no choice. I mean, Jaden Sancho hugging the bench, Donny van der Beek on the bench, mostly. You know, I know Varane's injured, but they brought in a world-class centre-back as well. They have Christian Al- Cristiano Ronaldo up front. Do they have areas that, you know, Roy Keane, Andrew went on a, a listing spree. Uh, Wan Basaka, Shaw, uh, Fred McTominay basically said, "If you're relying on these guys, then you're going to be in trouble." We didn't think that though. I I, I almost wonder if that's if that's some sort of like. Well, I don't know if Wan Basaka is good enough. I think Shaw has proven himself over the last eighteen months to be good enough. Um, Maguire is in a slump, a historic he slump. He like is, he, but this he, this was never supposed to be a back four that we worried about, and no one was saying that before the season, especially after they signed Varane. No one hmm. was saying that that back four was an Achilles heel. Yeah, but center the center of the park is still such a wasteland, yes. and you, and you have to think, you have to think that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, enough of a football man that he is, was really kind of probably upset when. Ronaldo is the thing that's being offered to you when when you really what you really need is to go into the market and try and get another another defensive center mid. Yeah, um, yeah, no no question about that. Uh, let's see, we'll go through a couple others here really quickly. Right. JJ, since we've been gone, Tottenham have gone out and gotten themselves a new manager. Um, I know we talked about it a little bit on our last podcast. We were kind of in that in between time when it looked like we were heading either like Conte's name was out there. I mean, we, we talked about it. No, it we, like it I mean, he was literally in London. Yeah, you know, he, you're right. He was you're crossing right. the I's and, and, and dotting the T's. I guess I just couldn't believe it. Like, it was just, and, and look, I mean, my own words could eventually be used against me, I suppose, but I'll set them straight now on the last podcast. When I talked about Antonio Conte and how I don't know that it makes sense. I was not talking from the Tottenham perspective. Of course, I can see why Tottenham want him. I'm thrilled that he's decided that he's going to manage them. It's it's great. It's a great thing for them. I can't believe it. I was confused as to why he would want to take that on. Um, maybe he got tired of waiting for Manchester United. Maybe he didn't see anything on the horizon that was really going to come together for him. Like we said, maybe the idea of being in London again really appealed to him. Uh, any avenue back into this league, it's a beautiful stadium. There's potential there, I guess. So I, I guess it makes sense. But I was just talking from the perspective of like taking on what kind of looked on the surface to be a rebuild. Uh, I was surprised that Conte would would want to do that. Um, but here we are. And it's it's a huge moment for Tottenham to get him. 
um, I'm fascinated to see, I, I feel like we'll find out quickly who he does and doesn't think highly of. Um, yeah. That's, it was, you know, we'll, we'll be able to judge that, I suppose, from their next few starting 11s. It was difficult to take anything from the game at the weekend because there was so little quality. It was a bad game. It was a bad game. There was, you know, there was the controversy around uh, Richarlison, who I think Lloris gets a hand on the ball. Richarlison actually gets up. I was surprised Richarlison, kind of knowing, knowing a little bit about him, didn't do several tumbles to try and sell it more. But he, he got saved up. that for a few minutes later on the coming together with Christian Romero. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> oh, look, I get it. It's just, tempers were hot after everything that happened with the penalty. So, But when, when Richarlison gets up from that and he's smiling, like, eh, whatever. He's one of but, those guys. He's one of those guys. If he's on your team, you probably love him. If not, he's, he's tough. He's a tough one. But, um, but anyway. I, I think the only interesting thing to take was that the – the four, uh, the three, four, three starting formation um, from Conte, that was interesting, and the fact he stuck with it from the midweek uh, Europa Sunbelt Conference game, that was how dare you? That was interesting. There was no shots in target, and I thought, what else? Oh yeah, I've I've a note here. Harry Kane looked, and I've written down lumbering. Hmm. Yeah, he's he's Ooh. not right. Oh no, he's not right. He's not right, and it's, that's uh, that's worrying. Yeah, definitely. He's like, if he's, he's got to be a central piece to this team. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I believe that this manager is certainly good enough to get the best out of Harry Kane. It, it might take a little bit. I don't know. I wonder. You know, Kane's coming off a busy summer. Like, let's look for a second at some of those guys on that England team, and like, you know, the mileage that's on those tires. Like, Kane's not alone. It feels like no a bunch of guys have dealt with injury or they're just not in top form. Declan um, Rice is the only one that's really kind of, you could say, Hey, he's going well. Right. Uh, Shaw's not going well. Maguire's not going well. Kane's not going well. Uh, um, Raheem Sterling, not so much. Uh, uh, Calvin Phil- Phillips hasn't really gotten going. Yeah. So it, that, that summer took a toll on a lot of guys. Kane also had everything going on off the field. I don't know if that's part of this. Kane seemed at least, it's early, but he seemed rejuvenated by the idea that Conte was being brought in. He seemed genuinely excited about that, as you would hope he would be. But yeah, he doesn't look right. And I don't know what you do about that. You can't really sit him. He's got to play. Um, so you just have to hope that this manager can unlock it in him. Maybe they got to get Mourinho in there as a consultant. Well, here, we'll do the, do this. Get Sun, Kane, get them on the break. You'll be good. Um, but I'm very curious. I'm curious about Tangi and Dombele. He didn't start in this game. You know what I think of him. Uh, maybe there's just not a spot for him under Conte. He Conte wants guys who are going to run and run and run and run and then run some more. Uh, did so you we'll find out who those guys are. Did you hear the interview uh, Conte did with Henri, uh, Thierry Henri, I think a few years ago for Sky. I actually don't know when it was done, but he's basically says if a player in the squad doesn't do what he wants them to do, then they're done. They're dead. He it's said, over. he said, what was it? He said he would rather kill them then give them another chance or something something along i don't that. want to completely misquote it but it was it was jarring in that way the way yeah he said no it. it was they're dead and i i don't mean that they'll actually be shot by a firing squad but they're dead yeah. to him that it's over for them that they, it won't work which is you know yeah but this game as a whole 
look, it was like you said, it was not a good game, but it was feisty. Uh, the first half was dull, but the second half uh, on that penalty decision, which was it was close to me. Look, if Larice gets a hand on it, that's all he needs, right? So if that happened, I, I couldn't see that there was a hand on it. I thought it was a stone waller. I did too at first, but yeah, I don't know. It's it was close. I don't, I don't. It was very close. That took the temperature of the game up a notch, and so it yeah. certainly made for like an intense final 30 minutes to that one. Um, you know, Everton had some, had a couple of good chances. Tottenham, of course, LaCelso hit the post. Uh, Reggion right before halftime, just like by himself in front on a beautiful ball that was played in by Kane. Actually, if Reggion finishes that, maybe we're having a little bit of a different conversation about Kane. If he's got a nice assist to his name on a winning goal. Um, but yeah, not, not a ton to take. I don't really know what my first impression is from Conte. Well, look, not a ton if, to take from it. If you're Everton and you've shipped the amount of gold you have over the previous two games, you know, you're just delighted probably to get a clean sheet. Yeah. I was listening to the, a view from the lane, the, the athletics Tottenham podcast. And they were, they kind of started out by saying that it felt like the kind of game where both teams didn't necessarily like both teams were, were, were fine to take that tie that like both teams were essentially content with, sharing that uh, the spoils there I, I think so uh finally jj a couple managerial changes we'll go through these quickly uh a few in the premier league and then a, one we've got to talk about in la liga quickly dean smith out at aston villa we had said that this what fair or not we had said last week that don't be surprised because we can all see the the direction that this is heading um look i think i kind of find myself feeling bad for him he's done a good job there he just lost a guy who was everything to that team um, unfortunately, like this is a league where you cannot like the fear of being relegated is, is so great that sometimes it, it cancels out rational thought or, or wanting to be patient with somebody who's done a good job for you. Like I, it, it's, it hurts for Dean Smith, I'm sure, but I, I get it. Like these teams that like you get worried are going to go down and they can't have that happen. And so they, I understand sometimes why these changes are made when, when like they don't always look super rational on the surface. Well, I stumbled across something ab about this because, uh, you know, it, it's, it's hard to ignore, Andrew, how connected, like deeply connected Dean Smith was to Aston Villa. So I saw uh, Barry Glendening from the uh, Guardian podcast was tweeting how it was such a shame uh, to see and, and how it was wrong, really, to see Dean Smith fired uh, in the fashion that he was. And I stumbled across a guy called uh, Daniel Betridge, who is a journalist. He's written for The Guardian, etc. And he also writes for Under a Gaslit Lamp, which is the Aston Villa blog. And he responded to, to uh, Barry, who Barry basically said to him, I don't think you were going to get relegated anyway. Um, and he responded basically that maybe we were, maybe we weren't, but it's not, a, it's not really about that. And he linked a piece that he'd written. And I'll just, I'll just read a little bit of it. Um, this is the closing part, and people should go and read it, especially Villa fans, because you'll get you'll get some sense of what Dean Smith really meant to the supporters, to the club, and his real contribution over the last three years, which is really sizable. Uh, Daniel writes, win, lose, or draw, Smith's Villa felt like something special, something romantic. His biggest success wasn't getting us back into the Premier League. It was reconnecting us with our club. He made us all proud to be Villa fans again. Gave us a team that represented the values we want to see in our club and made us heroes of a story that was uniquely our own. That's gone now. Villa will always be special and they'll always have my support. But like so many other aspects of modern football, Dean Smith's departure shows us that the sports romance has been replaced by cold, 
hard logic and it's a poor spectacle spectacle because of it and I, I mean it's just absolutely true never mind Dean Smith's contribution to the club what about his father's contribution to the club you know there was something really amazing about Dean Smith coming into the to the club that he supported that he watched from the Holt end as a boy while his father was a steward he gets to come in and pull them out of the, the mire in the championship and take them to the Premier League with, by his side, a captain that was a Villa boy through and through. I mean, these clubs are, are, are slowly but surely being just chipped away from every part of the community that represents them, apart from the supporters in the ground. And uh, I, I, I know... I, I don't want to be the villain here no pun intended, but like that, look, I can't not like what you're saying. Like, that's beautiful. Honestly, that's very, that's a nice thing to hear, but like that article's not getting written. If they go down, which you can, Barry Glenn Denning or whoever can say, I don't think they will, but we don't know. We genuinely don't know where the season would have been headed for them. Like if they go down, then we're sitting here talking about like, they hung on to the like sentiment. They allowed sentimentality to invade their brain and not do what needed to be done. But if to... it, like, if do you not think that a guy um, who was so steeped in the club and what the club represents deserves a bit longer than the foreign owners, the two part foreign owners to get their heads together and decide, you know what? The spreadsheet, the balance sheet, forget everything else about Villa, what Dean Smith means to the supporters. Let's get rid so we can keep, you know, make sure that that, that arc of money coming in continues because we got to stay in the big leagues. You know, I just, I just think that, um, I mean, maybe we're already at the point for most clubs. We're probably at the point where that is the case. And the bottom line is all that matters. I just think Dean Smith deserved a little bit longer based on his connection to the club and, and, and also based on everything he had achieved. Now, again, there's going to be the guy with the spreadsheet who says, JJ, look at their net spend. Just look at it. It was monstrous. It's up there with the top six, seven teams in the Premier League over the last couple of years. But I, I just don't feel that way about it. And I, I mean, we can move on. We're going to see now a, probably some, some level of a super manager come in. So Steven Gerrard's already been mooted to come in and, you know, talking about Kasper Hulmand. These are all names that the Athletic were floating around, but, you know, these will be just placeholders for someone else to come in after a while. Dean Smith was Villa through and through. And I, I, I it just doesn't sit right. Fair enough. Uh, Norwich City, I don't have much to say about this. They say goodbye to Daniel Farke. Um, I, that's another, that's a, a different, a different K, a, a, the same point for me, Andrew. So Norwich are just saying that Daniel Farke, who's a totally capable manager, who's brought them up twice back to where, to the Premier League, you know, that's it, though. We, it, we're, the vortex of money that is the Premier League, we have to stay in it. You know, I often thought that West Brom fans for a few seasons there had the best of all the worlds, Andrew. They'd be in the Premier League the odd season. They'd get to mix it with the big boys. And if they went back down, they knew they were good enough to be able to challenge and to be in the championship and be competitive and win things and go on a journey. And uh, Norwich have just basically said, with uh, with firing Daniel Farr, we've done that journey now. It we just got to stay up here because of well, economic forces. 
<laughs> yeah, I suppose. But like, I don't know. I feel like you're kind of downplaying the idea that like even the worst of teams have ambition and want to win. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. They're horrible. They're by far the worst team in they the are, league. But so what's wrong? Like, with okay, what? he he's done good things there, but like that doesn't give you a job for life. No, I, I, I understand the, that the team that is by far the worst in the Premier League making a managerial change and seeing if they can get more out of this team. If they can't, I, who knows? Maybe they'll go down and they'll re, and they'll rehire him. I don't know. But I'm not saying never sack managers. I'm just thinking the journey Narge supporters will be on, though. That's been pretty great. You know, you can win things. You can go, you know, if you're in the championship, you can be in the playoffs. You can push towards the playoffs. You can go on. A, you can have a league and also a cup run at the same time. You might get promoted. You win. You win the championship trophy. You win the football league trophy. You go up to the Premier League. OK, what happens? You know, you go back down or, or you hold on, you stay in the mid table, you ca- you get batterings off some teams and you hope you beat enough or there's enough bad teams below you that you stay up. I mean, I don't know. I think that that's an easy thing for a, I don't, I don't mean it to come across as harsh, don't but that's a, start this is an easy thing Liverpool for a Liverpool supporter. fan to say. But that's a cheap thing to say for, 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 you know, if, You've got a team that's never going down. You don't really know Christ what that Andrew, is to go down. I, I can't think about other things. I've been I've supported a team that's that's been relegated. I used to go to their games every weekend. And I remember what it was like, and it meant so much when we finally won the first division. But it sounds so patronizing I, to say that Norwich City fans should be happy to have this. They, never, they want their team to stay up. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, there is a there's got there is another way where football clubs operate. That where they can have glory and success and good things without it just being also Premier League centered. But That's once all I'm saying. But once you're in the Premier League, you want to stay there. I don't. Yeah, have, but I, I don't why? Feel... Why do you? Why is it such an imperative to be there? It's money. That's why. It's more than just that. It's it's definitely more than just money. Yes, of course, it's a rich league. Of course, there's money that comes along with it. But like these are competitors. This is the top league in the world. They want to do well there. This is their professional who, reputations. But who's like, that? Who are who? To whom are we referring here? Players, of course. Players, but managers, players everyone want to involved. be the best. Best they they can be. Ownership. It's not. It's every, not players. They all want. They all want to succeed. No, ownership's the thing. Ownership's the one. They've the one that have the vision of staying in there and making sure that that money keeps flowing. I think that I mean players want it, but that's the natural ambition. Look, of yes, a everyone wants money, but that feels really cynical to just rule out the fact that like. They genuine that it's like genuine competition. Like maybe, let's maybe it's just cynical. That's the way it is. Uh Eddie Howe to Newcastle is a done deal. Yeah. Um it was good it got over the line, Andrew, because had Eddie Howe somehow stumbled at the last hurdle and his signature had not got onto the page at St. James's Park, that would have been a pretty bad week considering the Unai Emery, according to a lot of people, was done and then he decides he doesn't want it. And um, and Eddie Howe gets over the line after what seemed to be a bit of debate about his backroom staff, which was the thing that stifled his move to Glasgow Celtic as well. Like, what kind of backroom staff is he bringing? Like, I don't know. And don't what know. are they asking? How much money are they asking for? Like, that this is such a sticking uh, post. Yeah. And look, that's it's not the first time it's happened. Like, we talked about uh, Pablo Fonseca's his position with Tottenham came down to backroom staff and that's where it went awry. So 
I don't know, maybe this is a common reason. We see it in American sports too. NFL coaches not getting jobs because they want to bring in their own coordinators and front offices say, oh, we're picking those. So I don't know, maybe this is a, a thing. It, it's not necessarily the name that I thought that would get this first job under this ownership group. Doesn't mean that it's bad. Just, just surprised me a little bit that they would go into the championship to bring in their first manager, but we'll see how it goes. I don't, not sure what my expectation is for them right now. And then uh, last but not least, JJ, we go to La Liga where Barcelona have gone and they've done it. They've brought back one of their heroes, their legends, Xavi, will manage the club. I saw the uh, the scenes in yeah. Barcelona, the pageantry it was really a quite a spectacle. They uh, borrowed the desk from, uh, you know, when you're signing your check, it's not at the counter in a bank. You know, the desk where you're signing your checks, they borrowed that for the uh, contract signing and just put it out onto the field. Uh, Xavi was dressed like Kendall Roy from Succession. And then he went on stage with a mic and started talking. Um, Dermot Corgan had some good quotes here. We are not getting good results. We need to improve in many things, Xavi said. In order to be able to compete, we need to have order. It is not about being hard, but about order and rules. And the rules must be followed. Hmm. When I have had rules in the dressing room, things have gone well. When the rules were not followed... Things didn't go so well. It's not about discipline. It is about order. I think order and discipline go hand in hand. Who's he talking to also? Yeah, I did that. that they seem kind of pointed. So he's yes. being briefed by Laporta and whoever else. And, and the big word has been order. I, I, and I'd like to know who specifically needs the discipline daddy. <laughs> um. I don't know. Look, I want to be excited about this. Barcelona fans, they should be. Like, this is a fun thing for them. They're coming out of a time where they've lost Messi. You know, Iniesta's retired. It's nice to see one of the heroes from that era back into the fold. So be excited, certainly. Um, now, mute this podcast, because I'm going to talk for a second here, and you probably won't want to hear what I have to say, because I'm going to throw cold water on that. But I just, I, part of me looks at this, and... It could wind up the results could bear out that I'm completely wrong, but I'm just saying on the surface, like we're talking so much week in week out about Solskjaer at Manchester United. And I wonder if there's a similar pattern here of a club in a bad way that sort of needs an emotional morale boost among whoever ownership front office, certainly fan base that is down on the team. Um, and so they go digging into their history to grab anyone, really, no matter where it is that they've been managing and where they've been cutting their teeth. And they bring that guy in and they hope that that's enough to change things. Solskjaer was a smaller league in Norway. Um, and Xavi, it was a small league yeah. in Qatar. We'll see. Uh, that doesn't it. It's not fair. They're two different people. Their managerial styles might be entirely different and it might work brilliantly. But in terms of the pattern, like you would expect the next guy to manage at Barcelona, be somebody who is one of the world's elite managers. It's one of the biggest clubs on earth. Uh, and Xavi's a huge name, but in terms of his managerial pedigree, it's, it's pretty minimal. So feel good about it today, but eventually they, they got to play games now. Like, and so it's going to get real, real fast. And so I'll, I'm curious, I hope it works because I love him as a player, easily one of my all time favorite players to watch. Yeah. Um, so I hope it works, but it's not going to be more. They're going to need more than just a, a name that they all love to lead this club back. 
I mean, from a tactics point of view, the way he was talking was hitting all the major, the key, the key deliverables, Andrew. Cruyff was mentioned. Uh-huh. The way we play will be the striker will be our first defender, you know, pressing, getting the ball back within the, like, this is an attempt at reinvigorating the spirit of Cruyff slash what Guardiola did. There's no question. Now, if you watch the videos that we that every now and again we'd see trending on Twitter from Al Sad, you'd be like, oh, you know, Javi kind of trying to inject that little ticky taka. Oh, they spirit. were so dominant. So yeah. that's good, at least. I mean, in, in little over two years managing Al Sad, he won seven titles. So that's good. That's good. Doesn't mean anything, though. I mean, right. We'll see. Maybe we'll I don't see. know. Maybe it will. Who knows? But. I'm I'm a little bit skeptical, but I hope it works genuinely. Um, I, I really I really do. Uh, what do you say we take a break? We come back, towel off, towel calm down, off, calm down. Stop and talking then, about money, <laughs> and then we'll talk about what's to come this Friday. The U.S. men going up against Mexico in World Cup qualifying. A little bit of MLS decision day as well, and we'll close out with a mailbag. There's still a lot to do. Don't go anywhere. It is the greatest international rivalry in soccer. I think you just have to experience it. I've played in, in CONCACAF matches before. I've played in some, some very tough places. There's really no getting ready for it. It's just getting those experiences. It is a rivalry that will forever live on in my heart. Mexico as a national team or words? I mean, I don't know if I can say it on camera. Into the middle of the And Donovan's arriving here. It's 2-0. And the USA can dream of reaching the quarterfinals. Volley! Yes! Yes! Bernie! Bailhaber! Cicerito being harassed. Bradley's going to escape from Herrera. Bradley trying to chip on Joa. And he scores! Ray from this spot. And he's denied! Horvath! With the save of his life! 117th minute, Acosta hooks it into the trap and a free header! It's a goal! The United States has scored! Miles Robinson! Oh my god, it's oh finally boy. here. It's they should play here. that. Andrew, you got to send that to one of the US MNT dudes. It's got to get played in the locker room. That is that is hairs in the back of your neck, tension building. Oof. I'm really so excited for this. Um, not that we're ever lying to you ever when we say we're excited for a game. You know, we, uh, sometimes we aren't. No, I mean, and we're honest about that. You know, sometimes these games are going through the motions. Certain none of World Cup qualifying has felt that way, but we're honest with you when we're, you know, early stages of a gold cup. You know, sometimes it's like, okay, we're excited because they're in action. This is this is it. Like, this is what we have been waiting for for literally years. Um, these cup finals against Mexico have been really fun, really dramatic, but we always say the same thing in this part of the world. It's about the World Cup. It's about World Cup qualifying. And for the U.S., at least, and I think Mexico would agree, it gets no bigger than this. And as a, on the U.S. side of it, 
this is the one being played in the U.S. This is the one on home soil. This is the one where you've got to win. And I'm so, I'm so incredibly curious about how this game will go because we've seen the recent performances for the U.S. against this Mexican side um, in the two recent finals. And it hasn't quite been the product that we thought we might be getting uh, f- under Bearhalter, this iteration of, of U.S. men's soccer against Mexico. It's kind of looked like the older version and they've managed to win. It's been, you know, that word that we've used before. It's been gritty. You know, it's been counterattacking. It's been like with Miles Robinson getting the winner, trying to take advantage of set pieces. Um, all of these things are important, but Mexico have have done well in their own right and probably felt unfortunate to not have won uh, at least one of those cup finals. So this one in Cincinnati, I'm so I'm just very I'm very curious as to how the U.S. will come out and and play this one. Yeah. And for me, it's about performance. The result is is important. I'm not saying it's not, but it's about performance. It's about having a measure of control. It's about creating chances, playing through the lines, uh, doing the things that Bear Halter said he wanted this team, team to do when he was announced as manager. How far down the line are we? We've yet to see a fully comprehensive, dominant performance from this team under him. We've seen good performances. We've seen wins. But I'm talking about against the best opposition available to us in this region. That's Mexico. The team are at home. Shorn of Serginio Dest, I understand that. But we need to see something really tangible about the development of this side. The Dest thing is really unfortunate because he's playing well. Um, I think that what he can bring them in attack, that speed, recovery pace, the ball, you know, he, he plays in a good ball as well from the way, but the way, the way he joins things together as well, ball progression, all that stuff. Now um, with that hmm. comes the reemergence JJ uh, of everyone on this squad. Of course, the name in lights for me is the return of Christian Pulisic, uh, who we haven't seen since he injured himself in qualifying. What was that now? Well, two, was that two months ago? Yeah. Two months he ago against the, in Honduras. This, I mean, he's always raring to go for any action that he can get in for the U S but the fact that he hasn't played really, I mean, he's he's had cameo appearances with Chelsea recently as they're trying to kind of work him back in. Um, but the fact that now like he's going to be thrown back into it and this is his reintroduction U S Mexico in Cincinnati. I mean, my God, I'm, Above everyone else, I'm, he's always the one that I'm most excited to watch for the U.S., but like now more than ever, his engine is going to be running at just like a speed that we, I don't think, have really seen before. And I think I think his manager at Chelsea, Thomas Tuchel, is keenly aware of that. He has already expressed, like preemptively, he has expressed his concern over Pulisic being overused for the U.S. Um, he, uh, I was reading this at uh, NBC Sports, um, Joe Prince Wright was writing about this and um, he said a reporter asked Tuchel if he was worried about Pulisic being called straight back into the USMNT squad after a lengthy period out with his ankle injury. Quote, the answer is, if you look at the minutes, like you said, the question is maybe answered. I hope that they don't overuse him and are responsible enough. Christian still feels some pain. It is a matter of pain management. It is not a matter of a re-injury or being still injured. It's just still painful. He has tried hard. He wants desperately to come back. We needed him back. It was a good start for him in Malmo. Today, he had 10 minutes against Burnley. We are a bit worried. 
he goes right. on to say, hopefully everyone is responsible and doesn't get carried away by emotions, helping his country to a uh, super important match, yada, yada, yada. I think there might be a little bit of getting carried away. They're going to use him. He's vitally important. This is the biggest game the U.S. will play. Like, I think, I think the only it. thing that Chelsea could ask for is that he plays whatever role he plays against Mexico and he does not play against Jamaica. That, that is the best you could hope for, I think. Uh-huh. Um, and I, it's, I, I, if I was Thomas Tuchel, I'd, I'd um, or rather I can understand where he's coming from. I don't need to put myself in the shoes of the Chelsea manager. He's seen the cycle of injury on international duty, coming back, then chasing it, trying to get fit again. Honestly, for his career, this needs not to keep happening in a major, major way. And but the idea that he's not he's going to be somehow spared or kept in some kind of cotton wool for the Mexico game is just it's, it's not, not fair. It's not honestly, it's not a fair ask. Like you're right. He's got to ask it. He's got to say it because he's worried about his job and his team and trying to win a title. But like Greg Bearhalter has a job to do, too. And Christian Pulisic is the best player on his team. And right now, sure, he was hurt today. He's healthy. He's good enough to play. He's on the team. You got to play him. You got to play him. And against Mexico, I, I mean, look, we'll see how it goes. But like, I'd play him all 90. Like, this is this is it. This is the marquee match in qualifying. Uh, so, like, maybe I'm a f- too much of a fan and I'm just like speaking from what I like want to see as a fan. But like, this is kind of, you know, this is kind of what we've been waiting for here. Uh, a couple of the other guys I'm interested to get your take on, JJ. Um, one player who was not on this squad, and that was John Brooks, who was very honest about being left off, and he basically put it on himself. You know, he's like, we talked about how he has not performed up to what we expect from him with the U.S. in recent appearances. And Jeff Carlisle was on this podcast afterwards, and he said, you know, the same. For whatever reason, John Brooks does not travel well right now with the U.S. Um, and Bearhalter and this, this setup, they have, they have taken note, and they left him off for a vitally important game. One of their most experienced defenders will not be a part of this team. That's, that was not an easy decision to come to, I wouldn't think. It couldn't have been, and I think it was the wrong decision. Wow. Um, I'm, I, I'm surprised I, I, to hear you say that. You've been very critical of Brooks. Yeah, I know, but what's the sense in in dropping him for this game? What's that going to achieve? And Brooks, even in his statement, mentioned how he felt he'd been playing much better in the last couple of games for Wolfsburg. So, I mean, if he's playing well, bring him. This idea he doesn't travel well, well, I mean, he's going to have to constantly travel. (laughs) Don't know. What are you supposed to do with that? I I just think the experience, if Bearholder says, I don't want to start you, that is fair enough. But to even have him in around the camp, working with the guys in training, um, I I would have brought him. I really would have. That kind of experience is, it's invaluable. And, you know, DeAndre Yedlin is the, suddenly of the defensive unit becomes the, the senior man. Uh, yeah. I wonder if he's who we'll see with Dest not playing. I mean, like we've said, not that... Uh, not that I want to see any player that I consider to be a first 11 player for this team get hurt, but that's a position where there is depth. Uh, they, they, you know, between. Uh, what I'd be shocked with... if it wasn't Yedlin, honestly. Over Reggie Cannon. I think so. I, I, or Joe Scally. Okay, sh- sh- there is no way Joe Scally is coming in to make his debut. And uh, his first ever international. Mm-hmm. I say no way. I don't know that. To, be, to make your international debut against Mexico, 
in a world in a World Cup qualifying game. Uh and you're how many you're how many weeks or months into your you know your senior Bundesliga career? I I and you have ne- you have won zero caps and you haven't re- you haven't trained with the team or anything. I think that would yeah. that would be a really really big shout um, to do that. And um, uh, Stephen got in touch was got in touch and said I've been so impressed with Busio that I'd like a Busio McKenney Moose at three with Adams at right back. Uh, I'm not doing that. I'm no, not doing that. I I understand why he would say that Buzio has gone over to Venezia and really impressed. Yeah. Uh, so I understand, I, I understand wanting to that, manipulate that... things to get him into the squad, but I just Adams to me in that role is too important. Mess with other stuff. If you want, like to me that we, we have found like, do you know how vital that is to have a guy who can do that work in defensive midfield? Like when you get that kind of player, like what in, I'm not saying Tyler Adams is in Golo Conte, but he's kind of Conte light in a lot of the things that he's able to do. When you get a player like that, you don't mess with it. Like that's such an important piece to have somebody who can defend and make up for like other defenders pushing forward, like, and who can also push play forward in his own right. A guy who doesn't really get tired, like who's going to fill mess with it. He's going to fill in, play multiple roles as well. He can fill in if our fullbacks are, are going to have to get forward at some point, if we're going to carry any kind of threat, then, He's going to be able to slide across and cover, and he does performs multiple roles. Yeah. So I don't want to take him out of that position. I don't know what uh, Bearhalter is going to do. He's not always the easiest to predict. Um, but I don't think I see Scally starting, and I don't think I see Adams at uh, at right back. I would agree with both of those things. One, I think you can predict that Greg Berhalter for this Mexico match will wear his coolest pair of shoes. That's probably that's important to him. That's probably going to happen. Um, one thing on the Mexico side, Andrew, uh, Felipe Cardenas was writing about their defensive kind of issues. And uh, this is a paragraph that stood out to me. Mexico are a high-pressing team that often leave their centre-backs exposed in transition. When they play in a three-man back line, central midfielder Edson Alvarez plays in between the two centre-backs. During World Cup qualifying, however, Martino has been more pragmatic. Mexico have been better defensively, but their overall lack of speed in the central defence remains a concern. And that is an area that can be exploited. You can expect the US not to dominate the ball. I would, I would like us to have more control of the ball than we've had in previous um, World Cup qualifying campaigns and previous games against Mexico, but when they don't have it, Getting them with uh, a speedy front three, or however it's going to be formulated, and getting at that 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 central strand of the Mexican defense is going to be important. One thing about this game, um, in a lot of these other World Cup qualifiers, even though the idea of World Cup qualifying is simply survive and advance, like ultimately that's it. It doesn't have to be pretty. However, in a lot of these World Cup qualifiers, even ones that the U.S. have gotten results. Bearhalter is being judged on style points. There is a section of the U.S. fan base that doesn't just want to see them win against lower opposition or what we deem to be lesser opposition. They want to see them win playing a certain way. They haven't always done that. I think this might be the only game in World Cup qualifying where uh, style points don't matter. Maybe uh, maybe that's just for me. Uh, I, I what, think that what are we talking about? Is, style if, point, if the U.S. Points. wins with twenty percent possession, it's a great night. Oh yeah yeah yeah. I, well. I mean, I, 
I'm not saying that good style equals lots of ball possession. I just think cohesive, uh, linked play through through the lines, passing through the lines, pressing where needed. Um, fullbacks, although I know it's, it changes the equation with Des not involved, but fullbacks getting up and down, um, in, good interplay. I think those things matter. Um, yes. I'm not... I think no, I'm not saying that like performance, not just win. Like, I think performance matters a huge amount, and it matters a huge amount to the U.S. supporters because we've kind of been waiting on the the fruition of of all that uh, Triple G has promised us. Uh, I'm particularly excited for this because this coming weekend, I wasn't able to do it last year because of the whole that whole COVID thing. That um, thing. This is my return of the Eagles road trip. And we're going to Denver for Eagles Broncos, but we'll be there Friday night. I don't like you at altitude. It worries me. I've been to Denver before. I happen to love it. Um, a lot of nature. You know my thoughts on nature. It's a very outdoorsy place, which I love. Um, but I'm the, the guys that I go with are also big soccer fans. And I'm just well, they, they support Everton. So I don't know. <laughs> That's true. But we all support the U.S., Mm-hmm. And I'm unbelievably excited to go hang out and watch this game like among people. Um, so whoever, any Denver listeners that we have right now, give me your suggestions. Where should I be? Where should we be watching this game? Cause I've been doing my research and I see a couple bars. Now I will say, um, you know, I actually just got my booster shot, which is fantastic. I feel like Popeye just like completely rejuvenated and re-energized, but uh, but the COVID thing is still kind of hanging over this trip a little bit. We're still, we're also like, uh, we're going to be around like a lot of large crowds. So we're trying to keep this as much outdoors as possible. I'm hoping that like Denver's showing this on some screen somewhere. And like, a, <laughs> I don't know if that's asking too much, but any Denver, I, I'm taking all suggestions, Twitter at CO soccer pod at a gunling. Um, I would love it. Cause I can't wait to just kind of like go all out and watch this game in a big group. You can meet and greet the people, the the cutoff side uh, Denver listeners should all band together and give you a wonderful greeting. Maybe there are some animals there. Car- oh, the animals are everywhere. Yeah, uh, but I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I mean, as you can tell, genuinely excited for this. And we will, like I said, I'll be out there. Um, we'll do a podcast. I'm going to bring my computer and my microphone, as is a, uh, a cool aspect of all road trips with friends. Hold on, guys. I'll I'll meet you at that bar. I'm just gonna let me just get my mic and uh, my laptop, dude. I I when I'm at home for Christmas in Ireland, I tell people, hey, we're not doing anything for this hour because I'll be recording a podcast. It's but complete- we'll definitely we will definitely have uh, a reactionary podcast to this one. Whether it it probably not it's probably not going to be Friday night. It's probably going to be Saturday morning, which is okay perfect. It gives us time to you know to chew the fat. Yep, that's it. Uh, so yeah, cannot wait. That's going to be, uh, this is the big one. This is a big one. All right. Quickly, JJ decision day, yep. MLS. Um, so the regular season is over. We have time to digest the postseason matchups. The, I think November 20th is when the playoffs actually start. So I'm not going to go through those just yet. You've seen them. You can find them. We'll do, you know, our we'll do a preview. We'll do a preview as we get a little bit closer. We still have a couple weeks. So this is purely just me looking at the end of the regular season. Uh, and I kind of have some of, I've kind of laid out a few of my winners and losers 
from the regular season specifically. I'll go through my winners first. Obviously, I mean, the easy one is New England. Breaking the points record. Anytime you do that, you're going to be one of the winners of the regular season. Low-hanging fruit, Andrew. Supporter Shield. Played a fun brand of soccer, too. Scored 65 goals. No one was even really close to that. So uh, props to them. Um, and, and really what it comes down to for them is you just think of where they were like, what, a year and a half ago, two years ago. Uh, I don't know that anyone really thought that this was realistic. We, we thought that like, you know, it could get turned around under a different manager. And sure enough, that manager wound up being Bruce arena, but to the tune of breaking the points record, just so, uh, so quickly, um, props to them. That's, that's not an easy thing to go from where they were to, uh, to where they are now. Now, like. They're going to have to maintain this, though. I mean, we always talk about the postseason is ultimately where legacies are made and, and seasons are judged. Only seven of 25 Supporter Shield winners have gone on to win MLS Cup. It's not easy. It is not easy. So that is what lay ahead of them. Um, maybe the only one more obvious for winners of the regular season than New England, JJ, would be the Colorado Rapids with what they just did. Ah. Uh, here is where they ranked in the league the previous four seasons. 16th, 16th, 21st, and 20th. There was nothing there to indicate that first in the West was in their immediate future. Robin Fraser needs to be considered heavily and probably win MLS Coach of the Year uh, for what he has gotten out of this group of players. And I don't mean that as a slight on these players. I just say that because, like, I just laid out for you where their previous four finishes were. But on top of that, it's the smallest payroll of any club in MLS. Like this guy came in and maximized their potential. And granted, they did make moves to improve this team, but he got the most out of this group. Certainly understood the personnel that he had played to their strengths. Um, so props to him because he was in kind of manager. We talked about managerial wilderness with Moyes. I mean, Robin Fraser was that he kind of had the stench of the Chivas USA disaster all over him. Fair or not. And he was an assistant manager with some clubs, but this was his chance to manage a club again. And to say he made the most of it, I mean, we'll see what happens in the playoffs, but first in the West for a team that struggled the way they did. They've never, they've never won the Western Conference. No, they were second five years ago. And 2016, um, I, I remember. Yeah. But, uh, and that was the, the Tim Howard, Jermaine Jones team, right? So Tim Howard, Jermaine Jones, Kevin Doyle team. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is a really fun ride in the regular season and we'll see how far it can go. Um, in the uh, in the postseason and then my last winners here jj those who snuck in obviously the vancouver whitecaps wow new york red bulls minnesota united fc to a certain extent uh but probably what i'll hone in on uh the most dramatic finish of the day rail salt lake in the fifth minute of stoppage time got this from demir krylock herrera will send it back in again aaron herrera punched again by Amelia. Taken one time by Louise. Bicycle kick and a goal! It's a goal! It's a goal! Demir Krylik! Demir Krylik has saved the season for Real Salt Lake in the dying seconds of the match. It's 1-0 RSL. Uh, and this that came just minutes after a non-call on, I mean, I don't know if you've seen these replays, but like it was a handball that RSL got away with. Yeah, um, PR, uh, the PROF, um, the Referees uh, Association, they had to deliver a statement apologizing for what that, happened. That's a tough statement to deliver because it cost another team a spot in the playoffs. It did. But, I mean, there's no other way around it. That's that's horrifying, but this is how it goes, I guess. So I'm not saying RSL fans shouldn't celebrate, certainly, but, man, the drama of the, of the last five minutes of that game um, – 
really incredible. So uh, props to them on uh, on getting in. And and by the way, I'm sorry to keep going here. One other. You, I uh, mean, gee, is there any end to this? Well, I, I, one other winner that I wanted to give um, the Seattle Sounders. They won't be celebrating today. They fell out of the top spot. But uh, I did see this tweet from Brian Strauss, and I thought it needed to be mentioned. He tweeted, in MLS's early years, top, uh, top four teams in each conference made the playoffs. I often think it should still be that way. And if it was, Seattle's playoff streak would still be 13 seasons. Top four every time, add two MLS Cups, four West titles, four U.S. Open Cups. They've practically solved the league, peerless. So I know Seattle fans wanted that number one spot, but Brian Strauss puts it in perspective. This team is still a force to be reckoned with. And a lot of people, perhaps myself included, uh, we'll be picking them to get out of the West. Uh, my winners quickly, uh, you've covered Colorado, but they were obviously there. Nashville. Okay, they made the playoffs in their inaugural season, but to do so again this season and finish on equal points with the well-established Philadelphia Union is um, is a great regular season finish. Uh, just looking at their team as well, Zimmerman, Mioil, Godoy, McCarthy, Mukhtar, solid experienced players. Let's see what they can do this time around. And um, the other teams that I think were winners from the regular season, uh, the two New York teams, for different, but in some cases similar reasons, they both really needed to be playoff teams, and they both did it. NYCFC, albeit with a bit more to spare than the Red Bulls in the end. Uh, the existential questions about who and what these teams are, and if enough people even care, um, can at least be soothed temporarily by postseason football but the mood music around these two teams nycfc with their stadium red bulls with exactly what they're supposed to be now as an organization it was massive that they made the playoffs and they both did big losers from the regular season how about just the city of los angeles in general oh. good lord stinks I mean, it would have been utterly unfathomable to me before the season if you said that neither LA team would make the playoffs unfathomable the galaxy first JJ so the moment from Krylock's goal for RSL until that game ended those were the only like seconds essentially of the season that the LA galaxy were not in the playoff picture that is horrifying they were in the playoffs literally the entire year except the final two minutes of the season I don't know like these guys aren't going to sleep for weeks thinking about that brutal. Um, I saw Chicharito afterwards. He was crestfallen. Um, it's just like, uh, that is, that is cruel. That is very cruel. Sports are cruel. Never really crueler than this. Uh, I mentioned Chicharito. I guess the one silver lining is that 17 goals for him this season. And he went out fighting, scored the equalizer, not once, but twice in this final game against Minnesota. It wasn't enough, but at least, you know, if nothing else, he proved that what happened last year was the aberration and it, he is still an excellent player. So at least you can be happy for him in that respect. Um, LAFC, meanwhile, needed to win. They needed help. They didn't get any of that. Uh, and Got you kind of, wonder where, kind of wonder where it leaves them now. I mean, like we, we talk about how success happens in cycles. And I wonder if this signified maybe the end of one cycle for them. Doesn't mean they can't be good again, but Bob Bradley's contract is up. So what now? Like there's been these rumors about Toronto FC wanting him. Nothing set in stone yet, but nothing is clear either moving forward. Carlos Vela hasn't really been the same player for a year and a half or so. Dealt with injuries all season long. Only, what was he at? Five goals in 20 games this year. Uh, Is he no longer a focal point? Will he even be back with them? So um, there's a lot of questions there. LAFC have made the playoffs every year of their existence until now. 
So, you know, they, they know how to win, um, but there's going to be work to do. It, it won't be easy. It's not just, you know, pencil them in every single year. They're going to have to fight to get back there. You got any losers? Yeah. Can I fire in the biggest loser? Yeah. Um, Houston Dynamo. Oh, okay. The hope in Houston when Tab Ramos was appointed versus the reality of a bottom placed finish and his departure is kind of, it's kind of jarring. When he came in two years ago, there was a lot expected. You know, he had the eight years as manager of the U20s. Such a major figure in the sport here. And such a storied player for the U.S. men's national team. And I think there was a general feeling that things were going to get much, much better. A lot of people are saying he never got the support at Houston Dynamo. The money wasn't spent. New ownership then, and now he's gone. But that was uh, that was bad, and it didn't go well. And... Um, you wonder what's next for the dynamo. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And uh, I actually had one other quick one too. The Columbus crew, I think need to be mentioned. Another team that I'd never would have thought could miss out on the playoffs. Uh, Jacob Myers in the Columbus post dispatch. He wrote the crew is the, the crew is the only the third team since 2006 to win MLS cup and not make the playoffs the next season. Uh, the other two were uh, Portland Timbers in 16 and Toronto FC in 18. They ended the season strong. Like, had they gotten in, I do wonder if they would have been one of those teams that no one would want to play. But they lost six straight in the middle of the season. It's hard to do that. In, the, in an Eastern Conference that was as deep as this one, it's hard to lose six straight games at any point and recover. Um, so that's that's a good team. Like, I really – I still believe that even here now. They've got flaws, certainly, but that's a good team not making the playoffs in Columbus. So that's – in their, in that new stadium this year, that's tough. That's uh, That's a tough one. So – yeah. Loser, losers, losers all around. Um, one other thing, JJ on this, let's give it up to the man. Wando at the conclusion of San Jose's oh, final game. Yeah. At the conclusion of San Jose's final game, uh, he was uh, handed the mic to make this announcement in front of the, the fans. Here he is. Chris Wondolowski. Hey guys, I uh, just want to thank you, but instead of doing this a press conference, instead of uh, in front of a bunch of uh, cameras, later on I want to do it in front of you guys because you guys have been there from day one, but uh, this is the last ride. I told myself I would cry, and I knew that the tears would be coming, but uh, thank you guys. It's been, it's been an amazing ride. 17-year professional career. He bows out as Major League Soccer's all-time leading scorer, legend, Chris Wondolowski. Uh, all the best to him in retirement. Uh, I'll be curious where, where we see him next, if he wants to coach, if he gets into broadcasting. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. So, But good yeah. for him on just a, an, an amazing American career for that guy. Yeah, incredible. Uh, that's all I got for MLS. Like I said, we'll have uh, – playoffs don't start for a couple of weeks, so we'll, we'll have a bit of a playoff preview before then. Uh, should we close it out, JJ, on a mailbag? Yeah, let's get through the mailbag with some haste. Andrew, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com is the email. At your soccer bot on Twitter, caughtoffsideespn on Instagram. Uh, are checking in on the animals on Reddit. Uh, someone is trying to sow discord in the ranks of the animals, Andrew, and turn the masses against JJ. This one, like I flick through it every now and again because it's, it's, it, it is fun. Yeah. This one just annoyed me no end. Oh, no. Um, so this is the headline, like randomly out of nowhere from this posting. Typical JJ to bring up uh, PES 
Pro Evolution Soccer when discussing your favorite FIFA games. And then and this, the, the tagline is what annoys me so much. Like I, if, if, if I could get this guy, I would slap him around so much. I love the man, but damn, does he have a hipster slash gatekeeping complex to him? Like, okay. like the idea that talking about uh, pro evolution soccer, which was like, I basically said there was just a, a brief moment where pro Evo might've been ahead of FIFA. I wasn't downplaying FIFA or that I never played it or didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I just was telling about when I played pro Evo soccer on my own podcast. And I was just like gatekeeping. Like, yeah, I don't if, know about gatekeeping. Yeah, yeah. What's he talking about? Here, like, here's, but, can I talk to the animals for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Um, listen, guys, here's what I'll say to you. You're absolutely correct. I mean, this is, we all knew what was coming when we got into the FIFA conversation. JJ was always going to bring up pro evolution soccer, but I liked it as a game, but let's keep Reddit as a safe, happy place. All right. If you want to make fun of JJ for his hipster ways, let's keep that on Twitter. But that's another, that's another, that's, like and I'm trying not to swear because I don't want you to have to put the beeps in, but that's another absolute nonsense like that oh. you don't like because you either like or don't like something that someone else doesn't like or a vast swath. Like I like succession right now. So mm-hmm. does does that like make me less of a hipster when the rest of the world loves it too? You know, just total nonsense. This is so it just really gets my goal. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever. Who oh, cares? Wow. Oh, I don't. No. I, I, don't, I don't. Oh no! When he ends a, a statement with "Who cares?" You know that you. No, it's. Them. Yeah, and I, I'm sure the whole idea of the post was to bring me out. But that's from, what I'm saying is we don't yeah, want Reddit to be that place. I it's know. supposed to be a happy, nice place. No, who cares? This guy's doing it all <laughs> who the time. Cares? I, you know, that's just what he does. He's just jealous of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hitting all the, uh, hitting all the. All the buttons here. Um, there does seem to be broad agreement amongst the animals on two of your pet projects, though. The value of the in-swinging corner. They had a whole debate about that. I mean, anyone um, who watched West Ham would agree. Yeah, and there's some stats on uh, some stats on that on The Athletic. There's an article on The Athletic if you're a subscriber. You can about about in-swinger versus out-swinger? In-swingers, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, just broadly speaking, in-swingers... That's what you uh, outswingers create more goal chances. I think in swingers create more goals. Of course they do. Yeah. So there you go. Nice. Um, uh, I, I, one... I quit. I did. Gl- I saw one thing in the Reddit um, and I should apologize to everyone. Uh, the thing I said about everyone who's been in the ocean has been near a shark at one point or another. That's I don't nonsense. know where I got it from. There's a good chance. I pulled it right out of my a. Uh, I was called on it by all of you fine people. You were right to do so. I could have sworn I heard it somewhere. But after I said, I was like, ah, that's probably not true. Um, I looked for it to see if I could actually find the statistic. I couldn't find it anywhere, probably because it's not even a real statistic. Wow. Sometimes these things happen. All right. And we know in this world, this post-truth world, who thought Andrew Gunding would be contributing to the misinformation? Who would have thought? Yeah. Coming next, Andrew's podcast on the booster vaccine. <laughs> no, don't you dare venture don't. into those waters. No, I shan't. I shan't. Only shark infested um, waters. And then the other one is uh, every time Andrew talks about a Penyanka and it's uh, Homer Simpson when he's picking the football team, and he's just telling everyone they're cut. So simple as that. Simple as that. Um, Chad Wiley in the World Series this year, a pitcher fractured his leg, picks pitched 16 more balls and then left the game. He then apologized to his teammates for having to leave the game. I enjoyed your comments on the pod about apologizing for mistakes, but apologizing for getting hurt is crazy. Did that happen this year? 
Uh, Charlie Morton, I think yeah. is who he's talking about. Uh, like, yeah. Possible. And I know that it happened before. Also, Hideki Matsui for the Yankees once got hurt and apologized to his teammates, um, which, yeah, seems, I mean, great teammate, totally unnecessary and borderline crazy. Um, but yeah. 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 Um, see, it all, it all came out the, the Manchester United, uh, head of head of media started talking about, um, basically kind of combing through the social media to see trends for players and then to go and tailor tweets to counter that narrative. An interview was, uh, published about that. And then, uh, huh. uh no, it was, it was on a podcast about, I think it was a, maybe last month, but it went viral because Gary Neville retweeted it. And um, I might have, I'm kind of curious about that. So, actually. so I know, I know with the Maguire tweet at the weekend as well, yeah. which people were saying team Maguire or some kind of social media guru put that one out. Well, I'm so sick of them now. They, they are having the absolute opposite effect. Yeah. We've jumped the shark with, with player apologies. Yeah, we definitely have. Uh, Robert, I know that Premier League and MLS will be discussed, but I hope that results in other European leagues will get a mention. Oh, he has not enjoyed the first, what, 90 minutes of this podcast? Good, good, good. I'll tell you what, I, I take that as passive aggressive, Robert. But we're going to talk about uh, two big 3-3 draws for Spain's heavy hitters in La Liga at the weekend. So Andrew Barcelona went three nil up away to Celta Vigo after yeah. 33 minutes, and then in the second half managed to throw it all away. Well, not all of it, but a, uh, they kept a point. Um, Ter Stegen helped Celta on their way, spilled a shot into the path of Iago Aspas. He buries it. Busquets then coughs up the ball in the lead up to uh, Nolita's second for Celta, and then in the sixth minute of time added on at the end of the game, Aspas sweeps home a third. A horrifying 3-3. Draw plucked from the jaws of victory. One win in five for Barcelona. That leaves them in. You can't look at the La Liga table uh, without thinking there's a mistake here. They're in ninth. Mm, Uh, And then imagine, though, on the same weekend that Atleti were 3-1 up in time added on and conceded twice in the 92nd and 96th minutes. Uh, Hugo Doro with both of those goals for Valencia. Um, so Atleti stay fourth. And so Real Sociedad stay top of La Liga. They they won their game. And I think they, was it Elche they bit? And then Real Madrid, they beat Rayo Vallecano. So it's a one-point lead for Sociedad, who still are top as we go into the second week of November in the international break. But... Um, yeah, the La Liga table is looking uh, looking a little bit interesting. Yeah, it really is. Jeez, those results are insane. They are insane. I think uh, the Atletico one is crazier to me than the Barcelona one. I don't, and I don't think that's breaking know, like breaking news to feel that way. I know what you mean, but if you watch, if you watch the first half of the Barca Celtic game and just the way Barca were kind of cutting them open and the goals they scored, you thought, oh wow, three one in stoppage time. To like the notoriously best defensive team in in maybe like Europe, like how does that happen? Yeah, no, that's that's a good point too. Um, Yunus Musa came on um, in that game towards uh, I think it was the hour mark. I'm sure all good things that happened after that were because of him. 
Ooh, he got himself a yellow card and as uh, Valencia were rallying looking for that equalizer he nearly he nearly ruined the momentum but <laughs> I'm not blaming him I, I'm just glad he's ready for Friday's game because that's what it's all about now Andrew is that it that's it Andrew that is the male bezois oh my god what a podcast what, what a an monster unbelievable, yeah this the, what a beast an, what a beast of a podcast like I said cannot wait for Friday anybody with soccer viewing experience in denver give me your recommendations uh i will appreciate all of them and we will be back with a reaction podcast most likely saturday morning slash saturday midday um and depending on when andrew gets up after his night of partying and you you nailed it that's pretty much let's just be honest about it andrew this is a complete jolly up for you oh yeah oh my god are you kidding I can't wait. I've been waiting for this weekend for two years. I can't wait just for the voicemail from you on Saturday morning. I'm not a drunk dial guy. Oh, oh, Saturday morning. No, Saturday morning. You'll just go. JJ, can you give me another hour? Because I am hungover. No, no. Hey, if if nothing else, I'm a pro. I'm a professional. You are a pro. And I'll be there with bells on. Unless the U.S. lose, in which case I'm going to be miserable uh, and, and not into it. But it'll still be worth listening to. I promise all of you. Oh, man, this was fun. This was a lot of fun. We'll be back over the weekend with another one. Hey, good stuff, JJ, to you, I say. Check you later, gatekeepers. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 